Welcome, everyone, to Mocha Live's first dedicated AI episode of 2024. Pretty crazy to consider that our first such episode, which we titled The First Inevitable AI Conversation, didn't record until just May of 2023, only nine months ago. From my position then as a spectator of AI, not a developer or even an enthusiast to that point, it seemed like that was the moment when our platform could best understand some of the technology's nuances. And the questions I wanted answered were wicked broad, uneducated by necessity. But every subsequent time we've spoken about AI on the show, it's been from a bit more enlightened perspective, with an interest further and further into the nitty gritty. It was perhaps foolish then, but it would certainly be foolish now to have broad AI conversations, full stop. The niches that interest me today are legion, but there are a few that feel especially pertinent. Like, how do we use AI as an artistic tool without being consumed by its power? That's something I'm always thinking of. How can the technologically inept like myself, without coding ability, harness AI for our own creative purposes? And perhaps most importantly, what areas of AI are most worth educating ourselves about right now? The answer to that question is always changing, and so it's always worth asking. We are going to get really into the weeds today with two artists slash researchers who not only embody the most playful and noble of AI experimentation, but who center themselves within an open source educational tradition. Gene Kogan and Vanessa Rosa are my esteemed guests for the podcast today, and we're going to talk about their inimitable practices, how they've learned to wrangle this limitless technology for precise purposes, and much more in the way of practical advice stemming from years and years of practical experience. In that May 2023 podcast, I said, we remain on the cutting edge of what AI is capable of. AI created video, AI created video games, end quote. And it feels right to invoke that today on the day that OpenAI announced Sora, its text-to-video creation system. We are only accelerating, and I hope this conversation accelerates your AI understanding as it definitively did mine. Also, I apologize for my crappy audio and very nasally voice. That was me committing the dual podcast sins of forgetting my mic and also getting over a cold. Anyways, please enjoy my conversation with Gene and Vanessa on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Welcome everyone to Mocha Live. It is another Wednesday. It is another Wednesday evening. It is another Mocha Live podcast. It is 11.01 p.m. here in beautiful Paris, France. My name is Max Cohen. I will be your host for the Mocha Live podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we have two guests with me today who I am just tickled pink to talk to. These are two folks who, as I've been researching them more and more, have just completely fascinated me. Um, the character of their work, uh, their actual character in their kind of whole ethos is a lot of things that, especially if you watch or listen to the show, you know that I hold near and dear about crypto art and especially AI art, open source tool creation, like ingenious use cases, um, application of new technology to the past. Um, I'm really excited to talk to our guests today, so let's just get right to them. Uh, that would be AI artist, NYU professor, and founder of Eden, uh, Gene Kogan. So, Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. And then it's street artist, AI artist, activist, founder of Little Martians, and much more, Vanessa Rosa. Um, Vanessa, hey. thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Cool. Um, so let's just get right to it because I have so much to ask you both about and to, I just, I'm really excited for this conversation. So, you know, when I asked you both what you wanted to talk about today, Vanessa, you were very quick to note that um, you wanted to talk about merging traditional crafts with AI and how important it is right now. Can you talk about like why that felt like the topic of the moment for you and like why it feels so important? Well, I guess we all know that there has been a clash between even digital artists, traditional artists with AI and for very understandable reasons. I think uh, this will impact not only artists, but every profession, right? Like how um, we're all creating data, we're making data available online and people didn't even know that uh, what AI was capable of or how it's trained or where it comes from. So it looks like an alien technology and also looks like it's it's like we're creating this beautiful collective intelligence, this, this fascinating technology, and there, is a, and there is a preoccupation of how this will impact people's livelihoods and uh, how connected they feel to it, how they, uh, they can understand it or not, or also having AI as mostly uh, sponsored by big tech and who gets to profit from it. So there are a lot of uh, conflicts. And... Also, as a traditional artist, as someone who just is fascinated with drawing and painting, etc., I, I really think it's important to, you know, uh, merge your own technique, merge your your love for drawing back into the AI, and mm-hmm. have an incentive system for people to continue to make new image, continue to just. Do it out of joy and be for all, like for the reason we've been doing painting since ever, right? Uh, painting has changed a lot ever since photography. Like uh, it is not, it's like the role of painting society has been changing for a very long time. Uh, it's not like AI is is a, a first big blow. It's like if you are deep into the painting world. They're, they can be very reactionary too, of always being like afraid of Photoshop, afraid of collages, afraid of, uh, uh, there, there's so many debates. And yet I, I actually feel very inspired by all the new things we can do with this. Like the, the whole art of world building, of generative storytelling, of uh, being able to do things with your hands and then you create an, an AI entity with uh, based on that object, on that sculpture. So I actually think it's, it's super inspiring. And I want, uh, my take is like to inspire artists to try to learn as much as possible about AI and also to put the energy into open source AI, democrat, demo, democratize AI that, uh, that we all like try to, to make our lives better with this kind of uh, new knowledge. Yeah, well, it's very interesting points. Also because I think kind of for the first time, at least to my knowledge, you don't really need specialized training to be able to access, especially if you're a traditional artist, the kind of like evolutionary effects that AI is going to be able to have on your work. So people even outside of the art world, even outside of the tech world, are able to bring AI into their practices for the first time. I My follow-up question to you is, how does somebody who has a background in traditional arts maybe is dabbling in AI for the first time. How do you bring it into your practice? And, and how do you specifically bring it into your practice 
in a way which like elevates the work that you do, but not so much that it consumes your work within the AI. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there are many different approaches. Uh, I've been doing 3D scanning of my sculptures and then using different AI techniques for animation. So like free, uh, 3D techniques as well. But then using image generators, you can use initial image. So that's very powerful and, and has been available since the beginning. Uh, well, at least um, for a couple of years. But otherwise, you can train custom models based on your image. And now with Eden, like what I've been enjoying a lot is the custom training. Uh, so you train Loras uh, with very few image. On, with 10 image of a sculpture, I, I'm capable of creating a character, creating a concept that we call like a, uh, a Laura concept. And, and then I can insert that, that sculpture in all sorts of different situations. Like uh, even within my own photos, I can use photos as initial image again or paintings as initial image. So the level of combinations we can do and how like, um, personal you can make the workflow is fascinating and of course like there are many different approaches to it someone like gene he can talk more about it that has more of a, a colder approach to it will have many different tools he'll play in a in a different way and that's why it's so fun that we get to explore together like um I, I always enjoy seeing what he does, especially in terms of uh, generative storytelling. And then I try to adapt my world to it. Yeah, for sure. Gene, I, I, I'm going to ask you in a second more about like open source AI creation, because it's like, I think kind of the question of the moment, but you know, this question of like the importance of self-training your own models and having kind of control over data sets and have, being able to tailor make these models to your experience or what you're hoping to get out of um, an artwork like I spoke about that with Linda Dunya some months ago. Um, she's a you know the brilliant AI artist, and I, I keep feel like I keep seeing it everywhere, especially in this dichotomy between uh, more I guess in the conversation, the cultural conversation, even within crypto art about AI art, and still kind of holding on to this idea that so much AI art is stock or feels uninspired or wrote or I guess like a, a mimicry of the aesthetics of the um, model that's being used, whether it's Midjourney, Dali, the big models. I'm actually seeing it, I feel like, less and less myself now that open source models are kind of starting to come more into vogue. Um, Gene, can you talk about, I mean, open source models in general, but like also Eden, the importance of artists discovering for themselves like the workflows to build these models? Yeah. Um... Well, uh, yeah, kind of just building on what Vanessa said, I, I've been, you know, really interested in in AI as a way of, you know, amplifying and, you know, stirring up my own creativity and other people's. It's just, it's just a very powerful, very general purpose tool. I sort of have this like, feeling that, that, you know, you solve intelligence and you can use that to solve everything else. It's a quote that I really enjoy. Mm. And so I've been... Um, just kind of you know pretty committed to to that path for 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 a long time and eden is just kind of the an outgrowth of that in this you know time and moment um it's 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 really important you know as vanessa said it's it's going to really radically change the way that a lot of media is is produced and and consumed and disseminated and um 
you know, I think traditionally, you know, the people that we call artists have a, have a, a large influence on that and can have a large influence on, on this kind of phase as well. When you're like in lectures or just in your daily life, like preaching the gospel of open source, like AI modeling, do you tend to come at it more from an like aesthetic angle? Like it's important for evolving aesthetics or are you more in the kind of like free speech, um, freedom of privacy kind of worldview, or maybe that's not necessarily a difference that I even need to make. I, I don't know if there's a dichotomy between those things, uh, like aesthetics. So for, for me, the, the interesting thing, uh, is, is, um, you know, the, the process, the, the learning, the knowledge, the, the sort of, you know, what it means to mop up all this data and learn something from it. I, I was struck kind of when you were talking about how, you know, everything, you know, has a has a particular look, sort of seems kind of generic, you know, the mid-journey look or something like that. And and it's kind of, you know, it's sort of a, in a sense, a feature, not a bug in, in that it's mm-hmm. learning from everybody in a sense. And so it really kind of, you know, zooms in on the center of gravity of of, of our culture, and uh, it's it's actually you know the the challenge now is to kind of get outside of that. You know, to go to find aesthetics that don't feel like they you know that they you know just naturally kind of came out of that they're resampling something that we've seen before. Um, and um, so yeah, I I would maybe pause there. So correct me if I'm wrong, you've been teaching like AI creativity since at least 2016, right? Yeah. So how have you seen like lay person involvement with AI change over that time? Um, was there trepidation before like the 2023 chat GPT explosion? Was it skepticism versus, you know, now, obviously I'm sure there's acceptance, even fear. I think it depends on, you know, how you define layperson. I feel like layperson in this context is kind of like a, a moving target because in mm-hmm. a sense, you could say that, you know, a layperson is just anyone who doesn't really know about it that much now. <laughs> and so in that sense, in that very broad sense, there's a lot fewer lay people than there than there were. Like it was a really niche thing in, in 2016. And it was usually like, you know, at that time it was kind of, I would say a, a sort of, for most people, it was a just, you know, one, it wasn't like the thing that they would focus on that they usually, you know, maybe they were interactive, uh, you know, they made interactive installations or they're sort of generative artists or, you know, they they make uh, new media art and AI was kind of this, this thing that you could, you know, you could use for that maybe sometimes mm-hmm. for some projects. And now it's um, it's kind of subsumed a lot of what, people do you know people are now ai artists in the in a sense um and yeah i i feel like you know if you look at the tools of the trade back then it was uh it was you know it was really sort of small and ugly and not not particularly um you know it it was hard to maybe see i think for most people hard to see the potential Mm -hmm. um i've been sort of like measuring the the kind of delta between you know every kind of milestone especially in image generation for a while mm-hmm. and so at some point i kind of like extrapolated the deltas and realized like wow we're gonna i, I would say we're ahead of schedule for from my perspective but 
Um, but I definitely could kind of see the writing on the wall. Like we were sort of like on the way to solving image generation. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, it's from there, it's like anyone's kind of guess. So there's so, so much to unpack in all of your answers. So I apologize that I can only respond with like one train of thought. Um, what I, I pulled out that I thought was interesting from there is, I guess just, again, how we're defining lay people. Like that was like the beginning of, of what, of this thought, right? That the lay person is different in every circumstance. And Vanessa, you know, you, we have like a, a brief Twitter interaction earlier today in response to the announcement for this podcast. And you kind of quietly corrected me when I called you like an, an early AI artist, you said you had much more of a background in traditional art and street art. And I'm wondering like, when was it that you in the various aspects of your practice realized that AI either had the capacity to elevate your work or that it was accessible enough in a way that you could bring all these different kinds of, I don't know, your work and your, your practice is so varied in the mediums. Like when did, when did AI start to become kind of like an omnipresent part of all of these different projects? It happened gradually. I also had this whole transition between uh, traditional arts, like just painting, pure painting, gigantic paintings to digital fabrication. I started doing digital fabrication in 2015, and that got me closer to media artists, to projection mapping later, and then even studying um, algorithm art, like in uh, in historical terms. I was thinking about worldwide patterns. It's a long story. I first uh, had contact with AI art in 2017 with Deep Dream, uh, which was made by Alex Mardisaf. Uh, it's like fascinating artist, researcher. And I saw Jimmy in 2017 when I was doing a fellowship at uh, NYU. And I thought the topic was fascinating and I was already interested in using AI mostly for compositions of my paintings. So that was the idea, but I didn't really touch it much until uh, 2019. That's also when I got closer to Jean. Uh, And ever since, I guess, it's also more of a personal thing, like the fact that we live together, we do a lot of things together, then Jean is deep into AI, like in a very different way uh, than I guess even most AI artists now, like he comes from applied mathematics, he's really uh, interested in the research, he's interested in mostly in autonomous, uh, like creating life with AI. Mm-hmm. And I find that beautiful from the philosophical perspective, or I started reading more and more sci-fi, but also um, speculative science. Like my favorite is actually from the 80s, Hans Moravec, uh, mm. Mind Children. He's already talking like so far in advance of uh, what we have. As, and, I, and that's really inspired me for the Little Martian series of realizing that like all this knowledge is it's not even human knowledge it's like it's it's deriving from uh pattern recognition from um sensory input and then like we we create uh we try to create these formulas and then uh, and the tools and then the tools also improve themselves and it's like a process that goes escalating and at some point um ai is like like especially when we get into computational biology it's like we're changing life like this will be new life forms like we don't know what's coming but like the future mm. is what we can see is that uh life like mutations or life has been accelerating for a very long time just if you think in terms of uh, the spectrum of life on earth like 
what happened in the last few billion years or especially in the last one million years so like how can we imagine life in one million one million years from now and then we realize our limitation and in that sense i think ai is bigger than us i'm really excited to think like what happens once we start um and that's already happening like making species hybrids like gene more gene editing or uh genes that are capable of um beings that are capable of editing themselves more in their mm. own lifetimes anyway it becomes like a gigantic discussion and it really i think it, it started inspiring me from a philosophical and um even just you know being the world perspective of uh, especially after the pandemic that's when i started the little martian series uh, just trying to hope imagine a future i would like to live in or a future that uh, i would look that i would be interested in even just like listening to that answer there's so much about little martians in there that is starting to come together like conceptually for me and i want to talk about each of your like works in a nitty-gritty way and so maybe like starting with little martians is, is the right place you know it's like it's about this kind of like evolution to a different state of being and different beings altogether it's also like a combination of ceramics and photogrammetry um and which i understand to be like 3d object creation from an irl model is that correct yeah yes okay, cool and it's you know narrative and it all revolves around this like ai nexus um and, and and one of the things that i love about this project is that it is not you know you you can see in the way these projects these, these artworks are coming together i feel that i can see in them one's own understanding of how ai works you know you start your work is kind of subsumed by the ai naturally it's such a powerful tool then you kind of start to use ai to elevate maybe a single kind of of artistry right and there starts to be a kind of dance between there but this real mastery that i'm really interested in and which i see in little martians is this way of using ai not to evolve something but to kind of like it, it almost like creates a z-axis right it, it connects a bunch of things that are unlike or unmarried to begin with and then creates like a deeper way into all of them using this like in this chamber that all of them bore together so first of all i'm sorry for the kind of crackpot metaphor um but can you talk about like that element of a project like little martians where you have all these different disconnected kinds of practice that you're using ai to weave together into this one kind of like multimedia output yeah so little martians really is a project that has been evolving organically and still like i think it's still at, at, at its infancy mm. um so we started on mars college um that's another long story but like we were already in the desert when the pandemic hit so in this place we call mars and then I gathered local clay and made uh, a head, which I called a Martian. And mm. it was really the stereotype of uh, future humans, right? Or aliens, like this uh, elongated head and just like a head and no body, which is a bit often when we talk about AI, it's just like this uh, alien life or disembodied, uh, disembodied human, like disembodied consciousness. And so I started making these heads and then um i went from the local clay to like more, more um other kinds of clays and mm -hmm. experimenting with uh, all sorts of different clays and then the 3d scanning and then i was learning uh just 3d software and then i learned that i could do 
uh, 3D animation, like facial animation directly from a voice. And Jean was the one who really pushed me into it because at first I was doing motion capture, but then you get limit by like, you have to do all the motion capture yourself. But if you have um, an a like AI voice and AI animation, it means that you can create a character as a chatbot, right? Mm. Uh, which has a specific personality that you just give a few samples uh, of how they should talk. You give some knowledge base and then you attribute a voice to it. And then you connect the animation model and to the, like in the, the uh, in the 3D mesh. Mm -hmm. So then you get like this avatar that, you know, has, um, it's like a beginning of a, a, an avatar with a life of their own. Like there, I, I think it's still, really early so it's been evolving from that and then i saw at first i was thinking more in terms of uh, this future humans that talk about human history how all of our data eventually feeds a simulation that makes uh, our present accessible for future generations how like we're leaving so much information about uh, about everything that is possible to reconstruct our time better than uh, the information we have for example about each ancient Egypt is just, we have so much detail about the average person life that mm. especially with a more advanced technology would be able to um, retrace like little by little and, and even make like several different versions of the person's life. And I started getting more and more excited about like simulation theory or um, just, just from the storytelling perspective. But then more recently I got also interested in thinking like, but what about these heads were like, what is their future? And also, do they really need to be just floating heads? Uh, why <laughs> keep this stereotype of uh, the human consciousness with no body? And mm. then I got more excited thinking of them more in terms of uh, seeds of life. So like they're little because they're still beginning and they're just trying to nurture life wherever they go. Like they, they're actually more of a blend of... Um, mm different earth life forms. So they have um, features from plants, from fungi, from uh, all an AI enhanced human consciousness and who knows what else. And they just use all the knowledge they have to try to accelerate life in other planets. Mm. But at the same time, they run the simulation that preserves Earth's memories and imagination. And I thought that could be something really beautiful to imagine like these beings many years in the future that are kind of looking after us. And to some mm -hmm. extent, like it's almost as if they are the ancient like um, forest spirits, like they yeah. are the earth spirits, the guard, like the, the, the rock spirits. Like, uh, so it, it's like thinking of human history, almost like a Moebius strip, like the future and the past. It's something, it, if everything is, is in a simulation, they, um time is an illusion or an origami it's so fascinating to me you know as a like a crackpot fiction writer the idea of just being able to use ai to you know for all sorts of things but being able to have them like act as dialogue generators within like the context of a narrative within the context of a character i i mean i can't even imagine the possibilities of doing that nor have i experimented with it nearly enough um, this is definitely up topic, so bear with me. Uh, you know, I, I was looking through both of your works, and Gene, something that caught my eye was uh, "Why Is a Raven Like a Writing Desk?" This like early, early style transfer piece of yours from like 2016. Um, I found it astounding. I really enjoyed it for a couple reasons. Like not only because 
people create things like that today and still kind of seem to be assuming that it's cutting edge, but more so because you can kind of sense in real time, like the joy and playfulness that you were feeling in like running these various like interpolative aesthetics through the Alice in Wonderland filter that just for those of you who you should check it out. But um, jeans, like why is a Raven, like a writing desk is again, early style transfer of all of these different famous artistic aesthetics applied to a, a scene from um, the Alice in Wonderland Disney film. I love this piece and I found this joy in it. And I think I don't often find that joy in AI work because the AI so powerfully overtakes the artist that you really can't sense the artist beneath the AI. So I'm curious, just like in, within your own practice, you know, how do you find the limit between your taste and creativity and that which any given AI model that one uses is going to then foist upon you? Uh, what do you mean? So in terms of like your personal touch. Yeah. Well, the thing is that, you know, when I, the, all of the things that the, uh, sort of the scene, maybe with the, like all the artists that I chose for it were, you know, I used Picasso and I used Van Gogh and I used sort of, you know, all these iconic artists and doing so was a way of, of actually, um, uh, de-emphasizing the actual you know like aesthetic or or particular style Mm. in favor of you know basically it's like using the most generic in a sense almost kitsch that i could find in order to emphasize the the actual process like what's what's actually happening here that the fact that there's this kind of automated style transfer happening so using you know sort of the most normal kind of artworks i could find and uh, as a way of like not imposing my own kind of aesthetic preferences on it but there was a little bit like your choice of alice in wonderland of uh the rev the raven like it, it i i think it was really well uh well done in terms of um you really feel like this kind of lack of meaning like her the style is constantly changing and they're talking about like the tea and nothing and it's like nothing makes sense it's mm-hmm. like i i and it's like playing just with pop culture too. So I, I thought, I really like how Gene, he loves the technique. He loves what AI is capable of. Like that's his focus. He's not mm-hmm. trying to talk about himself. He he wants to like, he, you had this other uh, early works, for example, the Gans you made just on memes. You really like that? Like kind of like the memes that just lose meaning, like all these cat pictures. Oh, yeah that uh, had that like things written underneath, but they are like, you can't really read anymore. It's like everything's <laughs> just losing meaning and becoming this blur of uh, uh, never ending latent space of cat memes. And uh, I, I actually really enjoy these works of yours. Yeah. I think that this is a really pregnant point, which is that like, especially if you're training your own models, like the subtext of your own style comes through, even if you're trying to de-emphasize yourself. You know, you chose Alice in Wonderland as your palette, right? You chose Hakusai, you chose Picasso, you chose Tarsila as the aesthetic overlays on top of that, right? So even though you may not presently be there, your choices are. And that comes through in da- the, you know, data setting too, especially if you're training your own model. Everything in that model is emblematic of your own style, right? The, all the influences that you know. So, I mean, to me, it's like if you can data set for yourself, 
you are creating a way for your own style to be kind of irrepressible. Yeah, but I really one thing that I really like about AI is like emphasizing less there are genius and more also the collective intelligence. And that's something that I hope we can uh, get better at just just in terms of, uh, for example, you using a data set that has contributions for by, by who knows how many people, by several, several artists. Like, what if you could list all of them? Like, what if we can think more in terms of a collective creation or all the people mm -hmm. who are working in the open source code? Like, like it's, I, 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 as an artist, I'm like, I'm actually so happy to be able to use other artists like that I admire as part of my creation and highlight them like try to make them shine also through the creation like it's this pleasure of collaborating it's this pleasure of uh, being human and creating together that mm -hmm. uh, I, I would hope like AI could help us um, highlight that go back to that and I also like there are some interesting things happening like nowadays even with TikTok there is a bit of this culture of uh, remixing and mm. the fact that other people remix your content just makes you more relevant so you want people to remix so i would hope like to see that happening more and more like with ai and also in the open source world i find it so beautiful like the people who share their code and then they just want to see people improving their code like that's the whole point <laughs> how long do you think if ever we have before any art that's made without ai is seen kind of in its own separate category as like retro or quaint or like traditional i don't know if there's gonna be really um a very fine distinction like that because for the most part the category of ai art is going to go away like you know yeah. the category of internet art was a thing too in the yeah. early 2000s and now it doesn't it's not meaningful and so ai is just going to you know it's been around for 80 years it's not going anywhere it's just kind of you know, it's going through a boom right now in terms of like the sort of the the topic, you know, is is experiencing uh, interest. But in a couple of years, people will be tired of talking about AI, even though the AI will be even more dominant than it is now. It'll mm. just be it'll just be normal. And so AI is kind of this vanishing horizon. It's always, you know, everything that that sort of, you know, everything that that becomes accomplished by ai stops being ai after mm -hmm. the excitement dies down and so all of this is and that that has an impact on how we categorize things so i sort of think that it's an ephemeral kind of time within this boom moment gene like can you talk about the importance of ai education especially in creative fields like getting creatives comfortable or at least knowledgeable about this technology before you know, it's everywhere and in every single thing. I feel like, you know, it, it, it depends on what you mean by creatives, but certainly like, you know, professional kind of digital creatives that, that work, you know, for a livelihood in, in something like, you know, art, design, music, kind of, you know, this kind of stuff. It, um, it's, you know, it, first of all, it's, it's a tool that, can amplify your creativity you know you can draft faster you can you know you can um sort of storyboard faster you can pull in information you can get ideas it's like all of this stuff it really once you 
you know, you know, right now it's still kind of this moment where um, the tools are still kind of raw, you know, even, mm. even things that are really polished like mid journey, it's still pretty raw. Whereas, um, w you know, one place where like at this point, um, AI has had a, a, like a hugely undeniable impact already on a particular profession is coding. So the most, not, I'm sorry, not most, but like coders for still, still like junior level and sort of new coders haven't yet fully adopted this but people you know a lot of coders are are basically relying on on um llms to write code for them like 50 percent of my code basically is is straight from the mouth of an llm and it, it works out that code was able to be one of the first beneficiaries of this because of how structured it is and so how learnable it kind of is by these systems yeah. But um, it's sort of coming for for you know pros and 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 any kind of like writing and image making that you can do, and so all of these creatives they they um, have an opportunity before them to to really level up their you know their skill because it really like it just makes you better at what you do. I'm I'm a better coder. I'm a faster coder than I ever was, and I think it's also true of like digital you know graphic designers and and sort of digital artists who are making making assets for various purposes like the ones who have really gotten good at using these tools they're they're uh they're better at their craft than they than they were and um and it's Im important for you know first of all it's like you know without bullshitting it's it's you know it's just gonna have a major impact on people's livelihood so you know a lot of the the sort of like um you know, like the the junior level positions at at, at a lot of these um, kinds of professions are being uh, sort of taken on by AIs that are being led by the senior level human, sort of in that position, uh, and and so it's you know it's it is the case that that a lot of this stuff gets automated and and of course then that has impacts on on people's you know professional livelihoods. And so it's worth kind of, you know, it's worth maybe for most people taking some time to, to kind of educate themselves, just, you know, just even for its own sake, because it's interesting, but also because it has, you know, important implications on their, on their kind of, you know, viability as a, as a freelancer. Well, in terms of educating oneself, like, I, you know, I'm always trying to parlay this into practical, this podcast that is in a practical advice for myself and, and folks listening. You know, what should I and the listeners at all be researching about like where should we begin our education? Like what what is the best or I guess what about AI should we, we be researching right now? Is it open source toolkitting? Is it like, you know, self-custodial data sets? Is it some third thing that I'm not, you know, imagining that's important to artists, developers, lay people, etc.? Uh, I think for a start it's it's, you know, start talking to you know, ChatGPT and 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 LLMs. You you know, it all depends on sort of this. I think maybe it, the devil's in the details. Kind of depends on what your goals are, but but certainly like the 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 entry point for most people has been you know trying to do something productive with ChatGPT and kind of beginning to to follow you know what's happening with LLMs. What are people doing with them? Uh, what kinds of applications are people sort of you know trying to to create? And then especially if you're, you know, 
um, a digital creative, professional artist, you know, looking at what people are building uh, for as tools to, to help you and, and trying to see if any of those things actually solve problems for you or, or, you know, look like they're on the verge of solving problems for you. A lot of them are still kind of very novelty oriented. And so, and so it's hard for people, you know, to, to just, you know, peer in for a couple of minutes and then see like, oh, wow, that really solves a problem that I have. But, you know, but it is much, it is more tractable to kind of peer in and see like, oh, wow, well, maybe, you know, I can see how this in one or two generations might, might be basically doing, you know, what I spent all of last week, you know, struggling to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like, I'm a, I'm a sort of big believer that if you want to, um, if you want to learn something deeply, you don't want to like over plan it and, and kind of, you know, take, you know, struggle to kind of decide like, oh, should I look at, should I install ChatGPT or should I, should I look, use ChatGPT or install Llama or any, or any of these things? It's like, if you want to learn something deeply, you just got to spend hours on it. You know, it's sort of like, you're going to waste a lot of time. I've wasted more time than I've done productive things with time. And, and it's just, but it's been sort of part of the process mm-hmm. of, of like, um, you know, f- f- kind of developing an intuition is it really just intuition kind of comes from it's almost almost the same as like muscle memory if you really want to learn something deeply you just have to engage with it for you know whatever ten thousand hours five thousand hours and then um and and it doesn't even matter if 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 it's that productive especially in the beginning uh so you know for people who are who are want to build things with ai I, i think you just have to really like you just have to kind of waddle waddle away and and you know you'll you'll kind of develop intuition for what things save you time and what things what things don't and um so you know so to get into the weeds like you know use llms if you're if you're interested if you do a lot of things with sort of digital art you know images um sort of media then um looking at these uh image generation video generation tools and trying to trying to just play with them is uh, is always a good use of time i'd say sometimes i find also like good uh lists of uh, all sort of different ai applications i'm sure you, one can dig into twitter and see a recent one uh that just like show companies or projects uh in all sort of different applications because it's really cool to just see what is happening like what is uh good like for example there is also image to 3d there are some uh some which is only beginning now so from one image you can do a good 3d model or text to 3d or uh text to music text to sound Mm. or uh text to voice and like just figuring out like all sort of different applications and then realizing like oh how that could be useful for whatever one wants to do uh there are all sort of different tools for film editing, like for uh, cutting things automatically, for doing color correction automatically, or some kind of a style transfer. And it's really cool too to see like uh, many of the traditional, to- well, not traditional, but uh, the mainstream digital tools adapting, like Adobe has been adapting a lot to AI, but then it's like, yeah, I would, I would spend some time just fussing around trying to discover like what is out there. <laughs> And every time you see a, a project that you like, try to see like, oh, what are the techniques? Uh, what other people have done with it? When did it start? Just like from one thing, I was trying to dig deeper because then you, you can even see like a project that at first you think like, well, this is amazing. And then you dig a little bit more and it's like, oh no, this is, this is totally normal. Um, I think that's incredibly sage advice from you both. I really appreciate it. 
we uh we should finish up here but i want to give you both the chance to talk about whatever you have going on anything you'd like folks listening to know um so why don't you take a moment and tell everyone what you got going on uh i'm pretty pretty um pretty invested in eden right now so we have a team that's building a whole sort of platform and toolkit for 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 you know making art doing things with language models making chatbots kind of you know just a lot of things we we have uh, an sdk so we're trying to kind of make something that's broadly useful for for other application developers we want to be able to spin up you know ai applications as easily as we do you know react and flask and you know those kinds of frameworks but for ai and um and you know just kind of create more novelty with images and 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 bots and and all of that so that's that's basically eden and then um abraham is um is still alive and well sort of my sort of the precursor to 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 eden which is this idea of making an autonomous artist and abraham is currently making art on eden every five minutes uh, just creating new art he's you know made about two hundred thousand artworks in the last uh, year or so and um and you know also sort of you know occasionally i have big dreams about about abraham trying to you know sort of fully decentralize the the process of of um you know making making interesting things telling interesting stories we're, we're also playing with uh sort of tools for kind of filmmaking and storytelling uh sort of multimedia versions of these things and so yeah most of my kind of like productive capacity is 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 you know put into this this big broad toolkit um that we uh that we're pretty excited about cool i will by the way link eden and abraham and all of the projects you guys are working on in the bio for this uh episode so that people can make sure to actually check this stuff out yeah and for myself like i've been mostly focused on letter martians now I'm developing this new uh, series for Koji, which I'm super excited about. Uh, it's going to be the first time we do something like this. So pretty much I train Laura. So Laura is a technique in which you, with a few photos, you train a concept. So you, you pretty much you can insert your character into the image generation, right? Like you can recognize that face or that object. So I train uh, six Lauras on, my, on six of my sculptures. And each one of them has a name, they have a personality, they have a backstory, they, they, like one is in Venus, mm. uh, three are on Mars, one is in a, a tiny moon of Saturn, the other one is like in a hybrid of ast uh, asteroid and comet. And uh, they know about each other. So like I've written like the text about, uh, like a specific text for each one. And there's also commonalities. Mm -hmm. And then we, I use Eden to create the bots for uh for the characters and also for the collection it's like it's all based on eden and the people people will have the option of choosing a character choosing if they want a story in physical reality or human imaginarium which is their simulation or at least like the part of the simulation that humans can understand <laughs> right within our limitations and and then you choose what kind of story it is, like the genre, if it's comedy, horror, um, action, la la la. And then like, there are five options. And then there should be uh, a text input. Like we're just asking, like, what is happening to the little Martian? And the 
people should be able to say something. And I'm really excited about it because it's it's a way of doing um, collaborative storytelling. Like I'm inviting people to yeah. give inputs of like, okay, so I, I, I made this world. What do you think should happen in it? Interesting. And, and then each character, like for each genre, for, I, I have a set of initial image. Many of them are created with Midjourney. Some of them are like historical image. For example, 16th century uh, linear perspective drawings and crazy about linear perspective or like Euronymous Bosch or who knows, uh, a mm. variety of image and which like constrains the, the aesthetics. And then you see the character in that specific aesthetics for the genre, for, the, for all the choices you made and a text of the character saying something related to um, the input you've given and their background. So. Well within their their way of speaking so that's like it, it's a kind of art collaboration that was just simply not possible before especially at this scale like we can do endless uh, of these like there is there there is no limits and, and it's really cool as an artist like to be in this position in which you're trying to set up the aesthetics you're trying to set up the world and then see uh, inviting people like hey what what do you do with it like what what is the next step now like what is happening in this world because I feel like I still have doubts. Like, what is their physical reality, yeah. or like their relationship to the simulation in their future? Which I'm not even sure, like how distant this future is. Yeah, it's very fascinating stuff. I'm sure we can spend a whole episode talking about just that, and maybe we should one day. But let's uh, let's get out of here today, um, Vanessa Jean. I appreciate both of you so much. Um, your insight, your answers, your time. This was fascinating gives me a lot to chew on um so thank you so much for being here um thank you for everyone listening uh or watching uh if you liked what you heard please give us a five star rating or a review on apple or spotify or wherever you're getting this podcast please give our Substack a follow for some writing at museumofcrypto.substack.com uh you can find vanessa and gene on twitter and i absolutely think you should um that's at gene kogan k-o-g-a-n and then uh, Vanessa is at VA2ROSA, R-O-S-A. Please check them out and please come back next week for another Mocha Live podcast episode. So thank you both again so much for being here and I'll see everyone else real soon. Thank, thank you. you. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. An enormous thanks to Gene Kogan and Vanessa Rosa for sharing their time and insight with me today. Thanks go out as well to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music and to Day Fox for our cold open theme. Finally, thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the pod and hope you'll be back for the next Mocha Live coming at you same time each week. Take care and we'll see you soon.